Chapter Three of the Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon, a Romance by Geoffrey Farnell. Chapter Three, which concerns itself with a haycart and a belligerent wagoner. It was upon a certain August morning that George Bellew shook the dust of London from his feet, and leaving chance or destiny to direct him, followed a haphazard course careless alike of how or when or where sighing as often and as heavily as he considered his heart-broken condition required which was very often and very heavily yet heeding for all that the glory of the sun and the stir and bustle of the streets about him thus it was that being careless of his ultimate destination fortune condescended to take him under her wing if she has one, and guided his steps across the river into the lovely land of Kent, that county of gentle hills and broad, pleasant valleys, of winding streams and shady woods, of rich meadows and smiling pastures, of grassy lanes and fragrant hedgerows, that most delightful land which has been called, and very rightly, the Garden of England. It was thus, as has been said, upon a fair August morning, that Bellow set out on what he termed a walking tour. The reservation is necessary because Bellew's idea of a walking tour is original and quaint. He began very well, for Bellew, in the morning he walked very nearly five miles, and in the afternoon, before he was discovered, he accomplished ten more on a hay-cart that happened to be going in his direction. He had swung himself up among the hay, unobserved by the somnolent driver, and had ridden thus an hour or more in that delicious state between waking and sleeping, ere the wagoner discovered him, whereupon ensued the following colloquy. The wagoner, indignantly, "'Hello there! What might ye be a-doing in my hay?' Bellew, drowsily enjoying myself immensely the wagoner growling well you get out of that and sharp about it bellew yawning not on your life no sir not for cadwallader and all his goats the wagoner you just get down out of my hay now come bellew sleepily enough good fellow go to thy voice offends mine ear the wagoner threateningly ear be blowed if you don't get down out of my hay i'll come and throw you out bellew drowsily twould be an act of wanton aggression that likes me not the wagoner dubiously where be you goin bellew wherever you like to take me thy way shall be my way and er uh, thy people <sighs> so drive on my rustic jehu and heaven's blessings prosper thee saying which bellew closed his eyes again sighed plaintively and once more composed himself to slumber but to drive on the wagoner very evidently had no mind 
Instead, flinging the reins upon the backs of his horses, he climbed down from his seat, and, spitting on his hands, clenched them into fists, and shook them up at the yawning bellow, one after the other. "'It be enough,' said he, "'to raise the old Adam inside of me to have a trapper of the roads a-snoring in my hay, but I ain't a-going to be called names into the bargain. Rusty!' I may be, but I reckon I'm good enough for the likes of you, so come on down. And the wagoner shook his fists again. He was a very square man, was this wagoner, square of head, square of jaw, and square of body, with twinkling blue eyes and a pleasant, good-natured face. But just now the eyes gleamed, and the face was set grimly, and altogether he looked a very ugly opponent. Therefore, Bellew sighed again, stretched himself, and, very reluctantly, climbed down out of the hay. No sooner was he fairly in the road than the wagoner went for him with a rush and a whirl of knotted fists. It was very dusty in that particular spot, so that it presently rose in a cloud, in the midst of which the battle raged fast and furious and, in a while, the wagoner, rising out of the ditch, grinned to see Bellew wiping blood from his face. "'You be no fool,' panted the wagoner, mopping his face with the end of his neckerchief. "'Leastways, not with your fists.' "'Why, you are pretty good yourself, if it comes to that,' returned Bellew, mopping in his turn. Thus they stood a while, staunching their wounds, and gazing upon each other with a mutual and growing respect. "'Well,' inquired Bellew, when he had recovered his breath somewhat, "'shall we begin again, or do you think we have had enough? To be sure, I begin to feel much better for your efforts. You see, exercise is what I most need just now on account of the er, haunting spectre of the might-have-been—to offset its effect, you know.' "'But it is uncomfortably warm work here, in the sun, isn't it?' "'Ah,' nodded the wagoner, "'it be. "'Then suppose we uh, continue on our journey,' said Bella, with his dreamy gaze upon the tempting load of sweet-smelling hay. "'Ah,' nodded the wagoner again, beginning to roll down his sleeves, "'suppose we do. I aren't above giving a lift to a chap as can use his fists.' "'Not even if he is a vagrant, and an uncommon dusty one at that. "'So if you're in the same mind about it, up you get. "'But no more fur and curses, mind.' "'With which admonition the wagoner nodded, grinned, and climbed back to his seat, "'while Bellew swung himself up into the hay once more. "'Friend,' said he, as the wagon creaked upon its way, "'do you smoke?' "'Ah,' nodded the wagoner. "'Then here are three cigars which you didn't manage to smash just now.' "'Cigars! Why, it ain't often as I get so far as a cigar, unless it be squire or parson. "'Cigars, eh?' Saying which the wagoner turned and accepted the cigars which he proceeded to stow away in the cavernous interior of his wide-eaved hat, handling them with elaborate care, rather as if they were explosives of a highly dangerous kind.' Meanwhile, George Bellew, American citizen and millionaire, lay upon the broad of his back, staring up at the cloudless blue above, and despite heartbreak and a certain haunting shadow, felt singularly content, which feeling he was at some pains with himself to account for. 
"'It is the exercise,' said he, speaking his thought aloud, as he stretched luxuriously upon his soft and fragrant couch. "'After all, there is nothing like a little exercise.' "'That's what they all say,' nodded the wagoner. "'But I notices them as says it ain't over-fond of doing of it. They mostly prefers to lie on their backs and talk about it, like yourself.' "'Hum,' said Bellew. Some are born to exercise, some achieve exercise, and some, like myself, have exercise thrust upon them. But anyway, it is a very excellent thing, more especially if one is affected with a uh, broken heart. A what? inquired the wagoner. Blighted affections, then, sighed Bellew, settling himself more comfortably in the hay. You aren't itin at love are ye inquired the wagoner cocking a somewhat sheepish eye at him i was but just at present and here bellew lowered his voice it is a, a rather painful subject with me let us therefore talk of something else you don't mean to say as your art's broke do ye inquired the wagoner, in a tone of such vast surprise and disbelief, that Bellew turned, and propped himself on an indignant elbow. "'And why the deuce not?' he retorted. "'My heart is no more impervious than any one else's, confound it!' "'But,' said the wagoner, "'you ain't got the look of a heart-broke cove, no more than Squire Cassilis, which the same I heard telling Miss Anthea as his heart were broke.' "'No later than yesterday, at two o'clock in the afternoon, as ever was.' "'Anthea,' repeated Bellew, blinking drowsily up at the sky again. "'That is a very quaint name, and very pretty.' "'Pretty, ah, and so's Miss Anthea, as a picter.' "'Oh, really?' yawned Bellew. "'Ah,' nodded the wagoner. There ain't a man in or out of the parish from Squire Down as don't think the very same. But here the wagoner's voice tailed off into a meaningless drone that became merged with the creaking of the wheels, the plodding hoof-strokes of the horses, and Bellew fell asleep. He was awakened by feeling himself shaken lustily, and, sitting up, saw that they had come to where a narrow lane branched off from the high road, and wound away between great trees. "'Yon's your way,' nodded the wagoner, pointing along the high road. "'Dapplemill village lies over yonder, about a mile.' "'Thank you very much,' said Bellew. "'But I don't want the village.' "'No?' inquired the wagoner, scratching his head. "'Certainly not,' answered Bellew. "'Then what do you want?' "'Oh, well, I'll just go on lying here and see what turns up. So drive on like the good fellow you are.' "'Can't be done,' said the wagoner. "'Why not?' "'Why, since you ax me, because I don't have to drive no farther. Thar be the farmhouse over the upland yonder.' You can't see it because of the trees, but there it be. So Bellew sighed resignedly, and perforce climbed down into the road. What do I owe you? he inquired. Owe me, said the wagoner, staring. For the ride and the uh, very necessary exercise you afforded me. Lord, 
cried the wagoner with a sudden great laugh. He, you don't owe me nothing for that, not nohow. I owe you one for a knockin' of me into that ditch back yonder, though, to be sure, I did give you one or two good uns, didn't I? <laughs> you certainly did, answered Bellew, smiling, and he held out his hand. Hey, what be this? cried the wagoner, staring down at the bright five-shilling piece in his palm. Well, I rather think it's five shillings, said Bellew. It's big enough, heaven knows. English money is all okay, I suppose, but it's confoundedly confusing, and rather heavy to drag around if you happen to have enough of it. Ah, nodded the wagoner, but then nobody never has enough of it. <laughs> Leastways, I never knowed nobody has had. Good-bye, sir, and thank ye, and good luck. Saying which, the wagoner chirruped to his horses, slipped the coin into his pocket, nodded, and the wagon creaked and rumbled up the lane. Bellew strolled along the road, breathing an air fragrant with honeysuckle from the hedges, and full of the song of birds, pausing now and then to listen to the blithe carol of a skylark, or the rich sweet notes of a blackbird, and feeling that it was indeed good to be alive, so that, what with all this, the springy turf beneath his feet and the blue expanse overhead, he began to whistle for very joy of it, until, remembering the haunting shadow of the might-have-been, he chucked himself, and sighed instead. Presently, turning from the road, he climbed a stile, and followed a narrow path that led away across the meadows, and, as he went, there met him a gentle wind laden with the sweet, warm scent of ripening hops and fruit. On he went, and on, heedless of his direction, until the sun grew low, and he grew hungry. Wherefore, looking about, he presently espied a nook sheltered from the sun's level rays by a steep bank where flowers bloomed and ferns grew. Here he sat down, unslinging his knapsack, and here it was also, that he first encountered small porges end of chapter 3